Thank you everyone for joining us on the webcast today for our 2023 Virtual Investor Day. I'm Gunnar Hansen, Head of Investor Relations here at Viva. Feel free to contact me if you need anything during today's event or if you have any questions in the future. Some quick notes before we begin. We have a series of presentations for the next 60 minutes or so, including comments from a customer. At the end of the presentation, we'll have a Q&A session. During the Q&A session, please submit your questions through the webinar Q&A tool to enter the queue. We ask that all attendees that plan to ask questions be ready to turn on their cameras and unmute their microphones when prompted. When you're getting close to the front of the queue, you will receive a prompt to join the webinar as a panelist. We ask that you accept the invitation, and when we announce you during the Q&A, please turn on your camera, unmute your microphone, and ask your question. If you have any technical questions, please feel free to submit them through the Q&A widget or email them to ir at viva.com. Before we get started, I'll read a quick disclaimer. During the course of today's presentations, we will make forward-looking statements, including statements regarding trends, our strategies, market size and opportunities, and the anticipated performance of our business, including guidance regarding future financial results. These forward-looking statements are based on management's current views and expectations and are subject to various risks and uncertainties. Actual results may differ materially. Please refer to the risk factors included in our most recent filing on Form 10-Q. Forward-looking statements made during today's presentations are being made as of today, November 9th, 2023. If the presentations are replayed or viewed after today, the information presented may not contain current or accurate information. Phoebe disclaims any obligation to update or revise any forward-looking statement. In the presentation, we will also discuss certain non-GAAP metrics that we believe aid in the understanding of our financial results. A reconciliation to comparable GAAP metrics can be found in the appendix of today's presentation, which will be posted on our website. And with that, I'll turn it over to our founder and CEO, Peter Gassner. Thanks, Gunnar. Welcome, everyone, and thanks for joining our investor day. Our goal today is to provide investors clarity on Viva, including the current state of the business and future directions. With that in mind, let's get started. Throughout the day, I'll come back to these four points. First, we're a very durable company. We have a clear and correct product strategy for a large target market. We also have a proven operating model that enables consistent execution, and that gives us a long runway of growth ahead. We'll start with our vision and values. We operate the company by vision and values. I present this slide many times every quarter. Understanding our vision and values is key to understanding Viva. First, our vision. We're building the industry cloud for life sciences. That's software, data, and professional services that help the industry be more efficient and effective. We want to be essential to and appreciated by every company in life sciences. And our values are how we make decisions. The first one is do the right thing. That's about honesty and integrity, about actively knowing what the right thing is and doing it. Customer success has three parts. First, for the people in life sciences. They should enjoy working with our people and our products. We should deliver for them. Second, the companies in life sciences. Our people, our products should deliver return on investment over the long term. And third is for the industry overall. Our products and people should help the industry become more efficient and effective. Employee success, that's for our own team. Viva should be a place where they can do their best work. 
and speed reminds us to get things done quickly and correctly with high quality the first time so that we can retain our speed even as we grow. And we are a public benefit corporation, and that's important. Let me spend a minute on that. About three years ago, we were the first company to convert to a PVC, and that's something we're very proud of. We have a legal duty to balance the interests of customers, employees, and shareholders. We also have a PVC purpose to help the industries we serve be more productive and to create high-quality jobs. So Viva is not all about the money. It's about doing the right thing, which is our number one value. And that's how we can grow a great business and, and provide value to customers and shareholders. It helps us attract the right talent that shares our values. And it helps us deepen customer relationships because customers know our interests are aligned and we will not take advantage of our leadership position. For shareholders, you're investing in a growing company and you're part of doing the right thing. Before we get into our products, a bit about our industry segments. We are in two of those. Those are in life sciences. First, biopharma, that's pharma and biotech, and then medtech. This is medical devices and diagnostics. We also sell into consumer products companies. That's things like consumer packaged goods, food and beverages. Life sciences, pharma, biotech, medtech. That's the bulk of our revenue today, over 95%. So that will be our focus today. In our opportunity, that's in cloud software, industry-specific data, and professional services, including implementation and business consulting. These are all industry-specific, all working together for customer success. That's what we mean by industry cloud. Now, life sciences is a large, critical, and growing industry that helps improve healthcare around the world. Today, the industry is about $2 trillion in revenue, and it's growing about 6% per year. Viva's opportunity in life sciences is about $20 billion. Our TAM is industry-specific software and data, and more than 50% of our TAM is from products we have announced, and the remainder is from areas of future opportunity. It also includes high-value professional services. Today, services make up about 20% of our revenue, and we don't expect that to materially increase or decrease over the coming years. We certainly don't want to get into low-value or commodity services in any material way. The rationale behind our TAM is very simple. Industry-specific software and data is critical to life sciences. It's really the only way to drive long-term efficiency and some level of standardization. Spending 1% on industry-specific technology to get more efficient is certainly reasonable. In the future, that percentage will likely grow as the industry becomes more tech-enabled. And I've seen this many times throughout my career. As technology advances, it opens up new opportunities to create more value with new kinds of solutions. And that should be a win-win for Viva, our customers, and the industry. For every dollar of revenue we take in, we want to create at least $2 of value. That's the way to build a durable business that will last for generations. Today, we're about 12% penetrated in our TAM based upon our revenue estimates for this year. So we have a long runway of growth ahead. And these are the areas that make up our life sciences TAM. These are directional numbers, 
rounded to the nearest 5%. As you can see, commercial and clinical are the largest areas. There are a lot of specific technology needs for running clinical trials, and there are many specific technology needs in commercial with sales, medical, and marketing. Quality is the next largest area. This is for quality assurance and quality control, mostly in manufacturing. Quality also includes opportunities with service providers like contract manufacturers and other specialized providers. And finally, regulatory and safety. These are essential areas to the industry, but somewhat smaller in opportunity. Now, before I provide an update on our products and strategy, I'd like to share some thoughts on the macro environment and our near-term financial forecast. The challenging macro environment continues amid concerns of war in the Middle East, inflation, and increasing political uncertainty. Taken together, I would say the macro is starting to trend slightly worse. Higher interest rates and a tough funding environment continue to impact emerging biotechs. The industry is also navigating the IRA policy as related to pricing and product planning. Together, this is causing industry-wide pressure. Since a negative macro environment impacts the industry, of course, that impacts Viva. In terms of financials, Q3 is coming in about in line to slightly ahead for revenue and operating income. We are taking down full-year guidance by about $15 million due to lower-than-expected services revenue in Q4. Services is an easier lever for companies looking for cost reductions. They can use more internal resources, or they can delay certain projects. Our guidance for subscription revenue and operating income are in line to slightly above our prior guidance. When it comes to our early guidance for next year, fiscal 25, we are taking down top-line revenue 50 million from at least 2.8 billion to at least 2.75 billion. Again, this is primarily driven by services. We think this is the right approach given the uncertain times. And Brent will provide more details later today. Importantly, we are still on track to meet our 3 billion revenue run rate about one year ahead of target. And I want to make a point that our long-term outlook remains very strong. Our industry is very large, growing well over time, and there are many critical areas where they need to drive greater efficiency and effectiveness. Our innovation engine, execution, and product excellence are as strong as ever, and the competitive environment remains favorable. All right, let's talk about our industry cloud for life sciences. That's development cloud, commercial cloud, and data cloud. We have a clear product strategy and a commitment to product excellence. Picking the right big markets and consistently delivering excellent products in every area is what develops trust and enables our reference selling model. We spend more on product than most tech companies and less on sales and marketing. And business consulting is one of our newest and highest value services to help companies with digital transformation that is enabled by our products. Let's start off with Development Cloud. We started working on this more than 10 years ago. We had a bold vision, and we're executing well against a clear plan. To transform R&D processes by having unified systems within each area, all on the same Viva Vault platform, and then connections between areas. It's modular, so customers can adopt as they see fit. They can start in any area. 
Today, development cloud is becoming the standard technology used for drug development, and we still have a lot of room to grow. Today, we're about 10% penetrated in development cloud into our TAM. The product areas of development cloud, they are in different levels of maturity, from very mature products like ETMF and submissions to very new products like ePro, safety, and LIMS. We also announced some new applications this year, including batch release and e-forms and quality and workbench and signal in the safety area. We're very happy with our consistent progress on development cloud. This is exactly the playbook we will follow for our expanded commercial cloud on Vault. Now, clinical, that's an important and big area within development cloud. That represents about 35% of our overall opportunity. It's a big area because it deals with data flow between patients, sites, and sponsors. It involves software data and services across clinical operations and data management. It's big, it's highly regulated, and it's the lifeblood of the industry. We are trying to solve the whole problem across sponsors, sites, and patients. We are really the first company to attempt this in a serious way. Today, we have more than 10 applications we sell to sponsors, the life sciences companies. And also in this area, clinical research organizations, or CROs, are an important customer as they run many of the systems for smaller biotechs. Our strategy for patients is simple, is to provide them one easy application for use in the trial. And for research sites, we'll provide free software where we can to help the industry overall get more efficient and become more standardized. We also have a strong vision for commercial cloud. Basically, we're going to clean up commercial cloud, put it all on the vault platform, and provide all the major applications. This is just like we're doing in development cloud. Moving the Viva CRM suite to our vault platform gives us freedom and flexibility. You can see in orange the major new application areas that we're announcing. Service Center, which will be part of CRM suite. This is for case management and workflow that goes between different sales and service teams in a life sciences company. Next is marketing automation. This is an area where we have traditionally partnered with Adobe or Salesforce. We're going to continue to partner, but now we'll also offer our own solution for customers who want a tightly integrated solution and one that's built specifically for life sciences. And finally, patient CRM. This is a U.S. specific product where customers need to manage highly sensitive workflow around identified patients. For marketing automation and patient CRM, we're just announcing those directions today. Development will start next year, and it's going to take some time for these products to mature. So you can see that our vision for the new commercial cloud is compelling, just as compelling as our vision for development cloud. Let me spend a minute specifically on Viva CRM and Vault CRM. Each have fully dedicated teams inside Viva with different goals and clear accountability. For Viva CRM, it's pretty simple. It's in stability mode and it's supported until 2030. It's all about keeping Viva CRM stable and well supported for customers. The last functional release for Viva CRM is this December and after that we'll continue with maintenance releases. All the new innovation, the focus now is on Vault CRM innovation. We have three early adopters signed. The first will go live later this month. 
and we're on track for general availability in April. And from that point forward, we will only sell Vault CRM to new customers. We're also making good progress with Top 20 Pharma. A lot of discussions going on there. We expect to have two to three Top 20s committed to Vault CRM by year end, and those migration projects for those big customers will start in 2025. Overall, Vault CRM will be a better application than Viva CRM, and the new commercial cloud will be much more complete than today's commercial cloud. Data cloud is also an exciting area and a newer area for Viva. We've been very busy with data cloud, and we have really progressed our product strategy in the last year. Data cloud has four different types of data. First, reference data with open data. This is all the important information about doctors and hospitals. It's used for compliance and for connecting systems. In commercial, we have open data for over 80 countries, and we're going to create open data for clinical, which should be available towards the end of next year. And now deep data with link. Deep data you can think of in two ways. First, it's data with a cloud application on top, but it's also a cloud application that comes with data in it. You know, a good example might be the Bloomberg terminal. I think that's a great example of deep data. It's complex data and software together. And that's what Link is, deep data. In Link, we put together thousands of data sources, most of which are publicly available. We assemble that through automation and manual curation, and then we write very specific software applications on top of that data. Our most mature application in Link is key people. That's deep profiles about the most important thought leaders for the industry. It covers about 3 million people in depth. For comparison, open data covers over 20 million people for reference data, but not in as much depth. We're really excited about Link, and we're going to expand that to clinical as well. Deep data is an area where Viva is leading the market. And then transaction data with Compass. That's specific to the U.S. market and includes patient, prescriber, and national products. Patient is anonymous patient data that covers prescriptions and procedures at the patient level. Prescriber is projected prescription and procedure data at the HCP or doctor level, zip, and state levels. And national is for national level projections. Basically, with Compass, we're delivering a modern alternative to IQVIA for commercial transaction data. Patient is available today. Prescriber and national will be available in January. And finally, Pulse data. This is unique to Viva. This is data that we generate from our Viva applications, from the usage of our applications. It provides a view into what the industry is doing in aggregate across certain metrics. This is really important for the industry as individual companies look to areas where they can improve. They can have standardized information about their own activities and compare that to the industry overall. This is how the whole industry can get better. Today, we've used Pulse as part of our business consulting offerings in commercial, and it was really important to incubate Pulse in that way over the past two years. Going forward in 2025, we will make Pulse a full data subscription. We will also expand Pulse to clinical at some point. It's important to understand that all this data is built 
on a common data architecture. In data, that is the equivalent of the Vault platform. It provides consistency across the, the data products. This is where we use common definitions for things like specialties, product areas, and disease areas, and that's a big deal. That's a way to connect data across areas and across commercial and clinical. Just like development cloud and commercial cloud, data cloud is a compelling vision and that you won't see that from any other company. Now we have to execute, and that's going to take many years. At a high level, what are we doing? We, Viva, are bringing together software and data. First, we're connecting the software together, then connecting the data together, and then connecting the software with the data. That's what the industry cloud is all about. That's why we're really excited about the value we can create. Now, bigger picture on technology trends and AI. I've seen a lot of technology trends over my time, from client server to web browsers, web search, social media, cloud computing, and now AI. Now, some of these trends succeed and become commodity and easy to adopt, and some other trends, they fade out over time. You don't hear about them anymore. They never really make it. It's clear that AI will be a lasting trend so I wanted to make a few points on that. Our AI approach is very focused and practical. First, we're making the data in our applications highly available to all kinds of AI applications. Early next year, we will release a new API called the Direct Data API for the Vault platform. It's a totally new type of API that lets customers get their data out of Vault at very high speed about a 100 times faster than they can do it today. And that will be very important over the years for all kinds of application uses, but specifically and especially for AI. And second, we'll develop application bots over time. Some of these will be charged as separate applications, and some will be included in existing applications. We already have the first one called TMF Bot live with many customers. It comes with our ETMF applications. In the future, as the basic AI components mature, Viva is in a very good position for industry-specific AI. We know the industry and how it operates, and we're building some of the very core data assets that AI applications will need. For now, our AI strategy is focused and practical, and we'll see how things evolve over time. So we have big product plans and, you know, we're very excited about that, but it really comes down to execution. That's what makes a great company. And that's what Viva is great at, execution. And the way we execute has not changed. We call that the Viva way. First, we identify clear and correct markets. We form great product teams. And over time, we create excellent products. We get early customers live and happy. We focus on their success, and that starts the reference selling. That's the way we do it. It really hasn't changed much from the start of Viva. And we have a lot of work to do because many of our products are early in maturity and market share. Some, like CRM, commercial content, and regulatory, are quite mature. And in some areas, like compass and safety, we are so early. Our job over the years is to move all these product areas up and to the right so they are mature and market-leading products. That's the way we add value to customers and shareholders. We have a good track record of executing over the long term. 
2015, we announced our 1 billion revenue goal and we met that about one year ahead of time. In 2019, we announced our 3 billion revenue goal and we're tracking about one year ahead of plan. And we've set our product strategy to keep growing through 2030 and beyond. All right, I'll finish in the same way I started. I hope you have seen that Viva is a very durable company. We have a clear and correct product strategy for a large target market. We also have a proven operating model that enables consistent execution, and that gives us a long runway of growth ahead. With that, I'll turn it over to Brent to give more information on our financials. Thank you, Peter. Before we start, I'll provide a brief update on our preliminary Q3 24 results and our forward guidance given we just completed the third quarter. Our preliminary Q3 results for total revenue and operating income are tracking in line to slightly above our prior guidance. Overall, we continue to see a challenging macro environment. This is having a disproportionate impact on our services business, which as you know, can vary depending on customer specific requirements and is less predictable than our subscription business. Customers are increasingly scrutinizing spend. This is negatively impacting our services outlook relative to our prior expectations. As a result, we are reducing our Q4 total revenue guidance by 15 million to 621 to 623 million. Importantly, our subscription revenue and operating income guidance is unchanged compared to our prior implied guidance. Our fiscal 24 guidance now reflects total revenue of 2.355 billion at the high end, a decrease of 15 million and operating income of 827 million, an increase of 7 million compared to our prior guidance. As we look ahead into fiscal 25, we assume the macro headwinds will continue particularly those impacting our services business. As a result, we are updating our fiscal 25 revenue guidance to be at least 2.75 billion. This updated guidance also reflects about 10 million incremental FX headwind compared to our prior guidance. It is important to note that our subscription revenue outlook is essentially unchanged relative to our prior expectations and we remain confident in achieving operating income of at least $1 billion. For fiscal 24, we'll provide further details on our Q3 24 earnings call and we'll provide our full guidance for fiscal 25 on our Q4 24 earnings call. As you can see, we have a consistent history of strong revenue growth and increasing operating income as the most strategic partner to the life science industry. Looking at fiscal 24, we now expect termination for convenience standardization to be about a $90 million headwind to total revenue and operating income. This slight adjustment relative to our prior expectations is due to the timing of certain opportunities. Recall, termination for convenience standardization is not expected to impact the total contract value, but it does impact the timing of revenue recognition. Normalizing for termination for convenience and FX our updated guidance reflects about 14% total revenue growth in fiscal 24. Our fiscal 25 updated guidance for at least 2.75 billion of total revenue reflects growth normalized for termination for convenience and FX of about 13%. As we stated earlier, this reflects a subscription revenue outlook that is essentially in line with our prior expectations, offset by weaker services growth outlook. I'm pleased to say that we continue to track about one year ahead 
of our 2025 targets, which calls for a revenue run rate of $3 billion and operating margin above 35%. We also continue to track ahead in both commercial and R&D, with commercial tracking a bit further ahead relative to the revenue split we originally expected. As a multi-product company, I am encouraged by our discipline execution and excited about the many growth drivers ahead. Our competitive positioning and customer relationships are as strong as ever. This result of our clear and consistent operating model. Viva's proven operating model is foundational to our consistent execution, resulting in strong growth and profitability. It starts with identifying clear and correct target markets. We only enter new markets and build new products where there's a big and strategic problem to solve, and we think we can become the market leader over time. Next, we focus on discipline and accurate hiring in the product and go-to-market teams. Great people with a focus on lean teams. We find early adopters and drive to product excellence through close partnership with those customers. Once we have established customer success for our early adopters, we move into the reference selling model. The reference selling model at Viva is a well-oiled machine. It's highly efficient and helps drive adoption and industry efficiency. The operating model started in Viva's early days and continues to be as effective as ever across our commercial, R&D, and data businesses. We have a clear operating model and we stick to it. It has proven to be successful over time and we expect that to continue. The past year, we introduced the company's first subscription fee inflation adjustment at a rate of 4%. This 4% adjustment is currently effective for orders renewing from April 1 of 2023 through March 31 of 2024. This annual increase is established based upon the lesser of CPI or 4%. We think this is a reasonable and balanced approach to managing the inflationary environment. It is also predictable for our customers. As you can see for the 12 month period starting April 1, 2024, the inflation adjustment will be 3.7% for all renewal business. As a reminder, it will take a few years to roll out across our customer base due to the timing of customer renewals and contract terms. As Peter mentioned, our TAM now reflects a top-down industry approach. This represents a longer-term, customer-centric view of our market opportunity. As a strategic partner to the life science industry, we believe the value we deliver through our software, data, and high-value services could be worth at least 1% of the industry. This results in a $20 billion-plus market opportunity, of which more than half is addressable from announced products. At a high level, commercial and clinical are our largest opportunities, each representing about 35% of the total addressable market. Based on our estimated fiscal 24 revenue, we are about 12% penetrated, which provides for a long runway of growth ahead. Let's now take a look at how our products are contributing to revenue today. As I look at our revenue mix today, about 60% of our subscription revenue comes from only five products. These are Core CRM, Promomats, ETMF, QualiDocs, and regulatory submissions. These are our most established products, having all been in the market for at least 10 years. And there is still opportunity for growth in each of these products. The rest of our broad and growing product portfolio accounts for the remaining 40%. These products are much earlier in their maturity and include some of our largest product opportunities, such as EDC, Safety, Link, and Compass, among others. 
We have become a true and growing multi-product company as a result of our commitment to innovation, product excellence, and customer success. This gives us confidence we can continue to deliver durable growth through 2030 and beyond. Taking a step back, I want to share some details regarding the industries we serve. We have three main industry segments today, biopharma, medtech, and consumer products. Biopharma is where we started and represents 94% of our current revenue. We have over a 1,000 customers today, including large global pharma companies as well as preclinical biotechs. Medtech and consumer represent smaller portions of our revenue, but each amounts to a significant opportunity as we look forward. Within Biopharma, two-thirds of our revenue comes from enterprise customers. You can generally think of these as our top 50 customers. SMBs represent our second largest cohort, contributing 25% of our revenue across about 700 customers. This includes companies with multiple billions of dollars in revenue, all the way to specialized biotechs, commercializing for the first time. Our SMB segment excludes our emerging biotech customers, which represent 4% of our total biopharma revenue across about 300 customers. We define emerging biotechs as companies with less than a 1,000 employees and no approved commercial product. And contract research organizations, or CROs, represent 5% of our revenue. Viva's durable operating model generates strong operating income and margin, which continues to support future growth investments. Recall prior year margins benefited from reduced COVID-related travel and event spend. For fiscal 24, we believe travel and event spend is now at a new normal. Our operating income generates strong cash flows, which enables us to invest in our people and products and supports our M&A strategy. In summary, I am encouraged by the progress Viva has made this year, and I'm excited about the opportunity ahead. Our consistent execution is delivering strong financial results, which has us tracking about a year ahead of our 2025 targets. We have a proven operating model that supports our vision to build the industry cloud for life sciences through software, data, and high-value services. As a multi-product company, we see a significant growth opportunity ahead. We are still early days in many of our largest product opportunities. Our focus on customer success and product excellence has strengthened our position as a strategic partner to the industry, which is critical in driving our strong growth and profitability. With that, we are scheduled for a 10-minute break before we turn to Paul to get a customer's perspective.
All right, welcome back, everyone. Uh, I get to lead this year's customer fireside chat, and I'm very pleased to have with us Nicole Rosenberger. Nicole is the VP and head of IT at Madrigal Pharmaceuticals. She spent the last 30 years in information technology, and she has a very long track record of driving technology strategy and execution for R&D, for launch, for commercialization. Nicole's been part of large pharma companies, small pharma companies. She's seen it all. And now she has a very exciting opportunity ahead of her. And that's what we're here to talk a little bit about. But first, welcome, Nicole. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you, Paul. It's great to be here. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's jump in, um, and into that exciting opportunity that we have. Uh, for those of you that may not know Madrigal, Madrigal is a, uh, development stage biopharmaceutical company who's focused on delivering the first foundational therapy for the treatment of patients with NASH. Now, NASH is a very serious liver disease. Uh, Nicole, with that backdrop, maybe you can give, it, give us a little bit more context on the opportunity, but also where you are as a company. Yeah, certainly. So NASH is a form of hepatitis and is projected to be the leading cause of liver transplantation in the U.S., Right now, there's no approved treatment for NASH, um, so it is a significant unmet medical need. Um, Madrigal's investable treatment for NASH is the furthest along in development, and we are currently under review with the FDA for a potential approval in early 2024. Um, it will be the first medication approval in NASH, which is a huge event for our patient community. And it would also mark our company's transition from being a development stage organization to really a fully integrated commercial stage biopharma. So as you can imagine, we are growing our commercial team rapidly in preparation for launch, and we expect to hire a field-based sales force as our launch approaches for early next year. So our engagement with Viva really comes at a transformational time for Madrigal. Thanks, Nicole. Thanks for painting the picture. And, you know, we're proud to be a very small part of your very important journey. We're rooting for you every step along the way. Now, let's start with um, the experience that you had. You had a lot of experience coming into this role. I highlighted some of that. You've been around the industry for a very long time. Uh, how did you think about your technology strategy to enable Madrigal? You have really big goals ahead of you. Um, how do you think about information technology as an enabler? No, we do. So I joined Madrigal about two years ago as their first internal IT person, um, in my mission, along with many others, is to make sure that we're really ready for commercialization and for large company growth. Um, so maturing our enterprise technology to be ready for that um, so we can grow exponentially. Right now, we're about 150 people, and we expect to be at nearly 400 at the end of the first quarter. Um, so rapid, rapid growth. Uh, coming in, though, we had the opportunity to really look at creating a clean, efficient architecture. And my focus in this was to use modern technology in common platforms wherever possible and have a technology stack that allows systems to work seamlessly together without a lot of lift and integration, um, but still enabling our business strategy with that. Uh, you know, one example when I think about this with Viva on how we were able to do that is we've implemented several different vault solutions across the enterprise, um, enabling everything from learning and storing SAPs all the way to pr pr promotional review. So you, the division that you have is is clear. You're you're executing uh, across a number of different areas, but you have uh, the reality of most small and emerging growth companies like yourself, which is a very lean team. You have to do a lot. You have to move with speed. 
Um, what are the most important parts of your execution plan? So, yes, our internal team is very lean. Lean is definitely a word for it. So with that, we do rely very heavily on partners, um, and I use partners as an extension of my team. Uh, the strategy in my strategy is to have internal people know our business, um, work on our business strategy, help make technology decisions. And then with that, we focus on a small number of strategic partners to really help us with some of our most important priorities, including technology, but also advice on how we can operate as, as we're going through in preparation. So for me, I really appreciate partners that can bring in a lot of expertise and insights as they're, they're working with us. Um, but it's also important to pick the right partners. Um, it can be a big distraction, not only for us, but for the company and really take us away from the important work that we're trying to do to get ready for a commercial launch. So, you know, when I'm looking for partners, I'm looking for great products and services um, that work well in our environment and our technology stack, but also really work well with our people, um, not just our IT people, but our, our business people as well, and have the right focus on our success and not the, just that transaction of that sale. Um, so our best partners bring ideas and expertise with that. Um, and the big thing, and I, I talk about this all the time, is really working with people who are honest and transparent um, and really think about what's best for our business and, and not just for their bottom line. Yeah, thanks. And you, you've been working with us for a long time. You've known us across many different companies, uh, and, and you've brought us in. Uh, I guess we had a little bit of a footprint at Madrigal before you joined, but you've, you've really expanded the vision. Uh, how does Viva fit into your overall partnership strategy? How do you think about that? Yes, well, as you mentioned, I've worked with Viva for a very, very long time um, in some of my previous companies prior to coming here. You know, coming into a pre-commercial company, it really gave me the chance to think about some of our core systems from the ground up, which to me is very exciting. Um, and Viva's really become a strategic partner on that on many different levels. Um, you know, as I mentioned, Vault gives us leverage across our business, and it's not just a commercial product. We have it across R&D as well. When we started, we had regulatory, as you mentioned, and then we had, we implemented MedComs, promo mats. Um, we have made the decision to leverage Viva CRM for our field-based teams. So we went live with medical affairs and market access at the end of August. Um, we kicked off our sales implementation about a week and a half ago. Um, so, you know, we are marching ahead with that. Um, we've also put in a clean data foundation, um, with open data. So, you know, expanding with the new applications and having this data internally really creates more value, um, but they also really work well together. So the, the second part of your question is, is looking for products and vendors that know us as a biotech. Um, we are way too small, and my team, as I mentioned before, is entirely too lean to teach people about what we do or to go through large implementation timelines and, and really customize solutions. Um, so we're looking for products and services that fit our needs, and Viva does that. Um, we don't have to go through a large development effort to get them live because the products are pretty much ready for us. So, you know, uh, an example, and I, I use this a lot, is we implemented promo maps in six weeks. Um, very fast, very efficient, and it works well for us. We've made very few changes since then. Um, our medical affairs CRM implementation, we did in eight weeks. 
Um, so it, it enables my team as well to really focus on these short implementation timelines um, because we are rapidly growing and evolving. But we also, in doing that, know the technology and the integration is solid for us, which is equally important. You spoke about a lot there, right, or things like execution and uh, excellent product and services, domain uh, partners bringing domain expertise in. Um, at some level, it sounds basic. We we know how hard it is to do. I think you know and appreciate how hard it is to do. Maybe your thoughts on why is it so hard to to do a lot of these things, which sound like just core blocking and tackling. Uh, so I guess that's one. And then as you think about um, looking across the partners, what is it that distinguishes you know those partners who can execute well from those that that maybe cannot execute as well? Sure. I mean, as you said, it really isn't easy. Um, it, it sounds it. It's not at all. Um, a lot of companies have great stories and sale pitches. I can tell you I hear them almost every day. Um, but not all can really execute with consistency. And for me in, in my role, um, you know, my job is to pick the right partners, the right technology, the right people that are going to work with us. And a lot of, once again, what I use is who can I really trust and rely on as we're going through the, this journey? Um, and to me, trust is, is a couple of different things. The first is who's going to have a great product and who's going to deliver it. Um, you know, having the right vendors with the right focus and the right vision. Um, and that isn't the easiest thing to find. Um, and the second is back to that trust and that caring. Um, so every project hits a bump, and they always do. And to me, what really um, defines vendors is what happens when you hit those bumps. Like, how do we fix the course? Um, a lot of vendors make promises, but they just don't have the, the focus, persistence, and a lot of times the people they promise to make that work. Um, and while Viva has certainly gotten a lot bigger than when I first started working with you all, um, I feel like that partnership has really remained the same. Um, and there's really consistent execution um, across my previous companies. I feel like we're doing that here now. And the team really stays involved and understands and keeps track of our business. Um, you know, my salesperson stays throughout our, my entire, you know, implementation timeline, and I talk to him at least once a week. Um, they, they're, they're involved, they care, they really think longer term. And I just feel like Viva is an extended part of my team in that, you know, we as a company really matter. And that's the difference. And Nicole, you're, you're talking about a lot of things that are so core to our values and how we operate. It's nice to hear them being played back uh, by a customer. Um, I'm going to transition to, uh, to CRM. Uh, you alluded to already, you made the decision to use Viva CRM for all your field teams. Uh, you made that decision before we announced Vault CRM and you're continuing and, um, what are your thoughts on Vault CRM and ultimately on uh, the transitioning when the timing is right? Sure. And, yes, we did decide um, before Vault was an option, and we, over the summer, did implement Viva CRM for our medical affairs team and market access. We kicked off our sales implementation about a week and a half ago um, in anticipation of our launch for the first part of next year. So um, waiting for Vault CRM was not an option for us. Um but, you know, I, I do feel that going to Vault makes sense. We use Vault in many parts of our business already across R&D and commercial, and it really supports specific processes that we have as a biotech. And as I had said earlier, without a, a ton of customization and development, 
Um, so adding more applications on the same platform, I think will give us even greater leverage because it's consistent technology and it all works together. Um, so we will launch Viva CRM and we will plan to move to Vault CRM over time. I'm not concerned about the migration at all. Um, if anything, I'm more encouraged by some of the continued innovation um, that you announced today about marketing and patient CRM. And to me, the potential of working with Viva just continues to expand. Uh, thanks, Nicole. Yeah, some some exciting announcements that we just had. You referenced uh, how we're expanding commercial cloud. Uh, we're going to include marketing. We're going to include patient CRM. Uh, I guess maybe one final question for you as you think about Vault CRM. Uh, maybe what what are what is it that you're most excited about? What's the biggest opportunity that you see? Well, I think overall, just the the um, breadth of the products continues to expand. And it harmonizes the technology and the processes across the company, which is, is just so important because, um, you know, many times I've said, how do we bring the R&D and commercial focus together? And I think that this does that. Um, and that's what I'm excited about is bringing the areas together. Viva is in a position to help us do that. And, you know, um, an example I use is medical affairs is – really important with building our, our markets and having the right scientific insights and relationships and connecting them appropriately with clinical and commercial is a huge opportunity and can be very powerful. Um, you know, for example, there, there could be an opportunity for medical affairs to be able to help recruit for ongoing clinical trials. And then expanding even farther from that, when, you know, you're, you're talking about service and marketing and patient, um, I just see and that continuing to evolve. Um, and I do continuously challenge our partners to think about all the different areas and not just one business segment. And to me, what's exciting about this is that Viva is doing that. So I am not surprised at all that that was your answer. Uh, Nicole, you've been talking to us about bringing R&D and a commercial together for a uh, for a very long time, for a number of years. So you're, you're in a sense, are leading in that area, and you're also pushing us. So Thanks for the continued uh, collaboration and the partnership we've had over many years. Thanks for, for joining us today. Uh, pleasure to have you. Oh, thank you. It was a pleasure to be here. And with that, uh, Peter, we'll turn it uh, back over to you for final comments. All right. Thanks, thanks Paul and Nicole, um, and thanks to the whole Madrigal team. You know, you're doing amazing things, and uh, we're so happy to be a part of it. So, so thanks again, Nicole, for joining. All right. I guess we turn it over to Gunnar uh, to field the questions. That's right. And uh, thanks again, everyone, for participating in the virtual investor day. As a reminder, when you're at the front of the queue, you're going to see, receive a prompt to join the broadcast of the panelists. Uh, we ask that you accept the prompt. And when you join, please remember to turn on your camera and unmute mute your microphone and then ask your question. So kicking us off will be Brian Peterson with Raymond James. All right. Hey, guys. Uh, sorry, Gunnar, if I, if I didn't, uh, didn't do that correctly. Um, so, so Brett, I, I just wanted to start uh, on the update to the, to the guidance and, and obviously with the services trends. Is there anything that you can hit on from a linearity perspective and what we saw in services? And I, I think we're getting some questions on how much is related to kind of the implementations for customers versus maybe what you're consulting. Any help on, on, on sizing that mix? Yeah. Yeah. Good to see you, Brian. Yeah. So we started to see this in about mid Q3. Um, so the macro impact that we discussed 
um, is having, you know, a bit more of a pronounced um, impact on our services business, uh, specifically uh, in the post-implementation services. So those are the services that's an easier lever to pull um, if you're looking for some efficiency gains. So that was a big piece of the services bring down. Also, in the implementation services, you know, we're seeing customers take a more economical approach to implementation services. Are they using a little bit more of their own internal headcount? Are they skinning down scopes of work? So that's what we were seeing. And given that, we thought it was prudent to, to update the Q4 guidance, which we did. Uh, the $15 million reduction was due to services. And then we've assumed that that view continues into fiscal year 25, and that informed our guidance as well for, for 25. Great. And maybe just a quick follow-up. You know, as we think about the new products you guys announced today, obviously the, the $20 billion TAM, are, are you guys able to talk through maybe what the incremental TAM is from what you guys announced today? Thanks a lot. Appreciate the time. Yeah, I, I can I can take that one, Brian. I didn't quite catch it there. You you asked about the incremental TAM, but I didn't quite catch your full question. So yeah, I was just trying because obviously the TAM now at twenty billion, it feels like it's a little bit of a different approach. So I guess if we were to look at what was announced today, how do we think about that incremental TAM that that you guys can address versus what's coming in the future? Uh, I think the best way to think about it that about. You know, if you look at that, that TAM, about 50% over, you know, over 50% is covered by the products that we, that we have announced today, that we have today, not, not even those new products. Um, so about 50% would be, you know, not including patient services, not including link clinical, all that type of stuff. Um, we won't break it down farther than that. I think the best way to think about it is by these functional areas, you know, commercial, clinical, quality, regulatory, and safety. Got it. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Great. Thank you, Brian. And your next question will be from Sackett Kalia with Barclays. Okay, great. Gunnar, can you hear me? Can you see me? Yes, we can. Excellent. Okay, great. Hey, guys, thanks so much for taking my questions here and, and appreciate you hosting this event. Um, uh, maybe this is a question for both Peter and Paul. Um, great to see some early top 20, uh, top 20 pharma companies thinking about Vault CRM. You know, clearly this is a, a big shift for, for both Viva and for the customers. I guess as, as you all have more specific conversations with customers on, on Vault CRM, how are they thinking about potentially entertaining other CRM options out there, whether it's IQV or maybe at some point Salesforce? How are they how are they thinking about that and and how are you maybe getting them comfortable with what may be a, a heavy lift in terms of migration sorry there's a lot there does that make sense yeah, it, it does Sackett. thanks let me let me try to take all those compound question uh, so uh, first we're you're uh, we're super excited about the uh, couple of enterprise companies that Peter had talked about uh, that are committing to vault CRM. Uh, we set out to have a couple of customers uh, as go as early adopters. So we're thinking about it as early adopter customer lists. We're, we're checked off there. So that's a big milestone for us. I uh, got a little bit more work to do, but that's super exciting. That's going to help us uh, set us up to scale uh, after uh, we get these first early customers going. So that's uh, that's super exciting. Um, the way I think about the, the, the strategy, just in terms of uh, getting customers comfortable, the, the migration, all of that, um, I guess I'd say it's kind of three three big things. One is um, we're going to deliver a better CRM. Uh, two is we're going to make it easy to get to that CRM. And then 
three is we're going to deliver an expanded commercial cloud, a new, uh, more complete commercial cloud. Those are kind of the three buckets. Let me, let me take each one of them. Uh, better CRM. We have complete control. We, we have the flexibility to do what we need. Just moving to the vault platform, that'll help us with, uh, kind of world-class content management built right into the CRM as one example. Uh, that becomes more important as the industry is becoming more digital. They need more content. They need to execute on that faster. That's just a built-in capability. That's one one of many examples. Uh, in terms of making it as easy as possible to get there, the good news is most of our existing customers, they've done a lot of the work just by the fact that they're on Viva CRM and they've, they've built everything that they've built. Uh, they're going to get the full functionality of everything they've done on day one when they migrate. Uh, so we're going to, and we're building tooling to make that move as easy as possible. We'll move their configuration, their data, their users. We'll preserve the full investment of their content. So our whole strategy is built around making it easy for them to get there, uh, taking advantage of everything that they've already done. Um, now, having said that, there will there'll certainly be work to do, but if you if you compare that to any other alternative, it doesn't matter what it is, this can be 80% less work, effort, cost than than any other option. So better CRM, a, a very clear strategy to, to get them there um, as easy as possible. And then the third is I, I would just call out the commercial cloud. It's the, it's the full vision. This is much bigger than a CRM. What we're talking about here is software, data, services, all working uh, together. Think about what we've done so far in, in, in commercial cloud. We've connected CRM to our commercial content system. That's really important for getting digital content out to the field very quickly and efficiently. We've connected it with, with CrossX. We've synchronized sales and marketing. We've connected it with our data cloud, our data applications, our deep data like Link and Compass and Pulse going forward. So this is just something that's very, very different. We're, we're, and then we're expanding that vision. Uh, you heard Peter announce areas like going into marketing and going in the patient. Patient becomes more important as the industry evolves more towards these complex specialized medicine. So this is a big vision. This is way bigger than what we're doing in CRM. Yes, they're going to get a better CRM. Yes, we're going to make it a whole lot easier to get there. But uh, but this is a real big vision. So we're super excited about the you know clear product strategy. It's on us to uh, to continue to execute. That's great to hear. Uh, th- thanks for the time. I'll get back in queue. Thanks, Sackett. Okay, great. Thank you, Sackett. Our next question will be from Ryan McDonald of Needham. Can everyone hear me and see me okay? Excellent. Um, Peter, I'm kind of curious. So given the macro environment and sort of the tightening of budgets right now, and, and you're seeing that on the services side, I guess, and how, as you have more conversations with these customers that are sort of tightening their belts, how much of this is being viewed as maybe sort of the first step along sort of more of a, a cost-cutting measures? And, and I'm really asking, as we look into next year and into 2025, what, what sort of risk are you seeing potentially to this having an impact on the subscription revenues over time, you know, upon renewals, if, if this is going to be sort of an extended impact you know, from the you know, Inflation Reduction Act or some of the other macro factors. And we've, we've seen a lot of pressure in life sciences earlier this year. Why are you only maybe starting to see it now versus maybe earlier in the year? Thanks. Yeah. So, yeah, the macro, well, the macro is, 
you know, I think it's trended a little worse. We, you know, I call it slightly worse. I, I, you know, we have some events in the world that has happened uh, recently. So, um, and, you know, we have, for example, I'll give you just an anecdote. Sometimes the anecdote helps. So one large customer we're working with, instead of a two-week shutdown over the holidays, they're going to do that, but a one-week shutdown for any, an extra one week for any external vendors as a way to, so that it's more, to me, it feels like short-term adjustments, and that's what you do in services. Now, when you have capabilities, which that's our subscriptions, those turn into capabilities, capabilities to manufacture efficiently, capabilities to register products, et cetera. Those have a longer cycle, and companies really, they won't make short-term, they won't allow generally short-term um, things to affect that because they know they has a, you put one of these Viva systems in there, especially at a big company, it's in there for 15 years. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you delay too long, you could have serious, real serious problems. So actually, you know, we had active discussions in Q4. I actually got a, you know, I won't, I won't, you know, it's a verbal, uh, you know, an emotional commitment. Sometimes in Viva we call it emotional commitment. And a big customer emotional commitment is actually when you know you've won, right? Yes, it could, the paperwork's not signed yet, but he, we had an emotional commitment in Q4 for one of our largest projects ever. You know, because, but that thing is, that's in actually in the regulatory area. That's going to play out over a long term, right? So I don't see it moving over into the subscription uh, business because of that difference. It's great to see the stickiness and the strategic nature of the business. And the, yeah, there's actually, the if I just, there's one more yeah. thing that can help too. In these times, what also what doesn't get done is speculative, try it out type projects. And that actually helps Viva when, if customers lean in the boom times, they lean too much, a little bit into speculative, try it out. Try it. We're a core capabilities company. So we're, we're definitely not competing with speculative projects anymore. Excellent. Appreciate it. I'll hop back in the queue. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Ryan. And just a reminder, if you want to ask questions and join in the panelists, please feel free to insert the questions in the Q&A widget. Our next question will come from Rishi Jaluria from RBC. Wonderful. Uh, Thanks so much for taking my questions. Uh, Just two for me. Um, first, uh, uh, Peter, and, and, and maybe for Paul as well, I want to dive a little bit deeper into your strategy around uh, generative AI. I know you've been using AI for, for a while. It feels like there is a really big uh, opportunity for you as a leader in pharma and biopharma uh, to maybe verticalize a lot of these LLMs and a lot, add a lot more value there for your customer base that they won't be able to do on their own. Can you maybe speak to the opportunities there? I know Peter, you talked about some some early opportunities, but you know, thinking out there 2030 because you're 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 kind of laying out that foundation. How should we be thinking about your your opportunity there and, and maybe the monetization that could come with that? And then I've got a quick follow-up. Yeah, thanks, Rishi. About generative AI, you're right. We are in a good position, right? We know deeply about the industry, about the data, about the business processes, about the security, the compliance, et cetera. And a lot of that data is in the Viva system. So I think we will, um, what you call specialize those LLMs over time and we'll make applications. Some of them will be 
small, there'll be add-ons to our existing applications like CTMS or, or the ETMF. Some of them might be ones that we're going to charge for separately, either by the user or in, in some other way. We just don't know yet. So our approach is, but we're not, also I'm not worried about it, right? In terms of industry-specific AI, I think Viva's in a very good position. Also with the data we're producing, like with Compass and Link, that's data that's going to be needed, critically needed in any kind of AI engine. And that's our core IP that's not available to others unless we license it. So I think we have a, you know, a lot of good opportunity, but we're, we're really, really focused and practical. You know, not a lot of hype in Viva. Um, my remarks there about tech trends, right? They either become easy and commodity and everybody does it or they fall or they just fall by the wayside, you know, so there's really no rush for me to AI. We'll do it right. Um, and we'll do it over time. All right. Wonderful. That's, that's really helpful. And then going back to the uh, migrations from uh, Viva CRM to Vault CRM, one piece of feedback we've heard from talking to customers, right, is that it is a significant undertaking, both of time and money. And you talked a little bit about that, but maybe can you talk about, are there any tools in your arsenal that you can use to make that a little bit of an easier pill to swallow uh, for customers, you know, be that discounting or, or even bundling in other commercial solutions just to, you know, provide that incentive. Thanks. Yeah, I'll, I'll take that one. There's, you talk, there are certainly tools, migration tools, right? In our, in our product development team for Vault CRM, we have the core product development team. We also have the migration tools development team. So we're, that's not, that's not actually in our professional services team. We right? have the migration tools development team. So we're treating it as, as a, as a factory process. We got X number of customers to move. Let's make it, let's do as much of that move with, with technology um, as we can. And in terms of um, incentives for customers, you know, the, I think the incentive is mostly the, the value in the new application. Yeah, when we work with early adopters, sure, we're going to, you know, help them out with some services, maybe discount for very early adopters. We'll put extra effort on it. But no, um, going to Vault CRM is by far the least expensive option for customers. Uh, the Viva CRM as it is now, they can stay on that till 2030, but at some point staying on that is not an option. So I can go to Viva CRM. That might cost me all in, you know, $5, whatever. I go to a competitor that might cost me 20. All right. I better go to, to Viva. And it's, we're also, I think customers look at it this way. First of all, there's a known in Viva, and then there's an unknown in what a competitor might do, right? Because they don't have a product yet. Some customers want to just make that decision early, top down for their organization. Don't spend a lot of time evaluating things. We're going with Viva, align all your plans around that, et cetera. Some customers say, it's not a decision we have to make yet. We're on Viva CRM. We got other priorities, whatever. Okay, let's think about it later. And some companies... They are interested in comparing and tr contrasting, but I think some of them are getting a little frustrated because they have a known in Viva and an unknown in the competitors. So that's kind of how it's playing out. So discounting, no, that's that's not what we would do. That's not needed to get people there. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thanks. Great. Thank you, Rishi.
Our next question is from DJ Hines of Canaccord. Hey guys, Gunner did me dirty, putting me on camera after Rishi. I wish I dressed a little nicer, but uh, it is what it is. Uh, hey, maybe one on on marketing automation. So you talked about in the past partnering with Salesforce in Adobe. I think of kind of marketing automation infrastructure as being generally horizontal, right? When you talk about building a, a verticalized effort in that space, that I guess displays some of those relationships, like. What does that entail? How does the product differentiate that positions you to win? Paul, you want to take that one? Yeah, you, you know, uh, you're right. We, we've had, uh, we've partnered with uh, Salesforce and Adobe. We'll continue to have customers who choose to use them. We're going to create something that's uh, much more integrated into uh, the commercial cloud. It'll be tightly integrated in the CRM. Uh, that's a big thing, right? Because a lot of our, a lot of the solutions that exist today, they're, they're standalone. They don't connect in, and they're actually over-architected for what the life sciences industry needs. Uh, so we're going to we're going to build more precisely what life sciences needs. I'll give you an example of something that we do in core CRM. In, in core CRM, you have field field teams that use content to talk to doctors, and it's important that that content is very specific to, let's say, the specialty of that doctor. That's a regulation. You can't show uh, content that's approved for an oncology medicine to, let's say, a, pediatri- a general practitioner or a pediatrician. Uh, that's something that's built into the application. We would build that kind of thing into the marketing automation system to make sure those rules are respected. That'll just be a standard part of the product. It's one example, but uh, so they'll, we'll, we'll focus it. We'll make it life sciences specific, and it will be tightly integrated, uh, and it'll give our customers choice. And the, the idea here is we want to build out a full uh, and more complete commercial cloud and marketing is a key part of that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and Brent, maybe a, a follow up for you, which I think Ryan's question was, was trying to get at, you know, you talk about the macro getting worse on the margin and we look at the guide, you know, normalizing for uh, TFC and, and currency, you know, 14% this year, 13% next year. Like what gives you comfort that, only a one-point deceleration is, is kind of enough of a cushion to be guiding out, you know, five quarters from now. Yeah, and we're, you know, Peter mentioned a good example of this just a minute ago is, you know, we, we have an emotional win, a very significant emotional win in, a, in the regulatory space. And I could take that more broadly as we, you know, look at the pipe and look at the opportunity. We are progressing a lot of significant deals. And so our competitive position is as strong as ever. We're winning the business. Um, you know, the macro continues as it has been. Um, the subscription, the su- subscription business, um, remains consistent as, as expected. So I would say it's our visibility. Um, the services piece, the services piece is more variable, as we said, and it is on more on the more discretionary items like the post implementation, the smaller consulting projects, you know, the hundred, $200,000 projects that might have flown through more easily are not as easy. So that gives us confidence. Yeah. Okay. Good to hear. Uh, thank you guys for hosting this event and, uh, I appreciate the color. Thanks, DJ. Thank you, DJ. Our next question is from Ken Wong with Oppenheimer. Hey, great. Thanks for taking my question. Um, I, I wanted to maybe circle back on the marketing automation, uh, question. 
I think historically when you guys launch products, you guys, you know, have maybe some that are more modules, uh, kind of one-off point solutions. And then you've got others that feel a little more transformative and a little more platform-like with data cloud, uh, obviously vault in the past. How do you guys think about marketing automation? Uh, arguably is as large of a TAM as, as CRM. Uh, are you guys seeing this as more additive to CRM or potentially as, as its own standalone product? I guess I could, I take that one, Paul. Yeah, I would say it's definitely not an add on like events management or a line. You know, this is a significant application. Is it as big as CRM overall? I don't really think so, but it's, it's not maybe that far off. And, you know, the reality is, is we have to get in there. So we have to get in there with the core of the marketing automate automation in that area. Are there going to be add on products? I'm sure there are. Is there some special thing we can make between our marketing automation, for example, and CrossX? Well, there might be, right? Because CrossX also measures you know, media spend. Well, that's related to your campaigns that are driving the media spend. So, um, yeah, I would say it's too too early to know for sure. Our approach is going to be start building the product next year, get some get some early adopter customers. Usually, those will be small customers, very nimble customers, and we grow from there. Um, but you shouldn't view it as a as an add on. It it'll be a significant product. Okay, perfect. I expect it to add. At least to a pharmaceutical company, I expect it to add at least three times the value that the generic solutions are providing today. And, and, you know, I want to share some of that with the life sciences company, right? We always want to do that, right? If we take in one dollar of revenue, we want to have, you know, be creating at least two dollars of value. This product has got to be fundamentally better and we've proven we know how to do that. Perfect. Thank you, Peter. Uh, and then, and then, Brett, just in terms of the, the macro impact, if we get it a little discretionary on the services side, I, I guess as we think about on the subscription side, is any, anything you're seeing, hearing from, from customers in terms of maybe kind of on deal duration or slippage or sales cycles and anything that you can share as far as kind of what, what, what you're hearing and seeing out there in, uh, in, in, in the demand environment? Yeah, Ken. So I would say it's a continuation of what we've seen over the past year. So we have continued to see longer cycle times, elongation of deals. Um, we're winning the deals. That hasn't changed. Um, but I wouldn't say that we've seen anything materially um, different than what we had saw, seen saw 90 days ago. Services was a little bit more acute, and that's what we called out. Yeah, I guess uh, maybe the root of my question was, would would just be, you know, for the last couple of quarters, we've seen, you know, billings outpace revenue. I think some of that is timing. Maybe some of that is just uh, is, is, is deal duration. I guess anything from a second half perspective that we should, you know, be, be kind of thinking through as far as how that might impact billings relative to what you messaged on revenue? And to your point, in the first half of the year, we outperformed a bit in billings, and I did call out timing. It was like I called them 50-50 balls. Sometimes the timing is in your favor, and sometimes it's not, but the deals are getting done. Um, I'll provide uh, updated billings guidance here. Um, our, our earnings calls will be on December 6th, so that's upcoming, so I'll give a detailed guidance around that. But what you should think about is um, the correlation of services revenue to billings. 
that is a pretty direct correlation. So I would say, you know, consider that point as well as the impact of FX is more real time on billings than it is on revenue. So a couple of data points there, but I'll, we'll, in a month, we'll, we'll talk to it in detail. Okay, perfect. Thanks for the color. Yep. Thanks. Thank you, Ken. Our next question is from Jack Wallace with Guggenheim. All right, guys, can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Um, just to have a follow up with uh, Ken's question there and, you know, maybe to ask it differently. Notice there was a change in the, the TFC headwind in the fourth quarter. As we, um, you know, with, with billings, um, if you have it in one quarter, the, it's a smaller drag for TFC, TFC um, you know, the next and it you know, builds and builds. So with the smaller drag in the fourth quarter, is that a signal that there was a pull forward? of deals or maybe any change in uh, duration, you know, annual biller versus monthly? Yeah. So, uh, so when we started the year, uh, we, you know, we projected that the termination for convenience impact was going to be about $95 million. Um, so that was our best estimate. You fast forward to today. Um, we believe that the best estimate of that is $90 million. So that's a $5 million reduction. And that's purely timing of deals and when those deals are closing. It's actually not a pull forward. It is a little bit of it could be a movement from one month to another within a quarter, or it could be a little bit of movement from one quarter forward. So we see a little bit of that, and that's what's impacting um, that T for C adjustment. And uh, again, those the, we still have the same line of sight to those deals. The timing was just a little bit, little bit different than what we thought, you know, going back, you know, seven to nine months ago. Gotcha. That, that's helpful. Thank you. And then, sure. you know, um, Salesforce has made some recent announcements that you would appear to be encroaching more into your business than just uh, a CRM uh, com, you know, competitive product. You know, if I'm thinking about the the uh, increased ham you uh, detailed earlier, you know, are there any products um, contemplated inside of that you know, that TAM that you know, haven't haven't been built yet, but that would um, extend Viva uh, Vault footprint further into your pharma customers that would be uh, made more competitive with Salesforce's existing offerings. Well, I, what what the what the move has allowed us to do one way to think about the move to Vault CRM is it's unlocked a lot of potential for us. And you're, you're hearing some of that. You heard, uh, our entry into service and marketing and patient. And who knows? There may be more in the future. There's, there's things, certainly things that, uh, yeah, we gave an indication that, uh, a little over half of our TAM is, are covered by products that we do today. So there's certainly a whole lot more opportunity that remains. Uh, so there's a lot of places we can go, but there's also big markets that we're already in that we're just getting started in. So, um, and, and sometimes you figure, figure out these new markets along the way. You have to get in. A lot of our ideas come from just really deep partnership and engagement with our customers. Um, and sometimes new problems come up as you go along, as you get deeper and deeper. So, uh, it's not something that we over engineer. It's part of our operating model. We, we want to be agile. We want to think about, uh, the, you know, what our customers need, what the, have a clear point of view on what the industry needs. And that's what we're building towards. And then and in terms of uh, Salesforce.com itself, um, obviously great company, you know, big company, great tech company, but it's really, you know, industry specific applications, especially in life sciences. That's really, that's really not their thing, you know, or at least it hasn't been their thing. So 
Um, there's no track record there of that. So they may, may do some things. Um, competition is always, is always good for the market. You know, as Paul said, if you look at what we're doing, has a lot of deep R&D applications, a lot of deep commercial, and then the whole data cloud. So Viva is doing something different than Salesforce. Um, a company that's trying to do things similar to Viva, I guess, would be IQVIA, right? But, you know, they've had their issues with software, et cetera. But we don't really see Salesforce's competition for the industry cloud for life sciences. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Jack. Our next question is from Stan Berenstein from Wells Fargo. Uh, hi. Thanks for taking my questions. Um, Peter, maybe one for you. So data cloud is any anecdotes from early adopters, and what's the level of excitement for clients uh, regarding the planned Compass product expansion in early 2024? Dan, the first part of your question broke off. I heard about Compass, and but then it, it broke off. Yeah, so the, the first part is just regarding data cloud in general. It's still early, but any anecdotes from early adopters regarding this product, and then specifically on Compass expansion in, in 2024, any any comments from clients regarding that as well? Okay, yeah, data cloud is is early. Some some of it in there is a bit quite mature in terms of products, right? With open data, with link key people, you know, we're doing very well in there. And some is very early. But Pulse, we've just announced the direction, right? We won't have that product until 25. And then Compass, as we mentioned, that's a big, big market in the U.S. for the performance data, and we're early there. I would say, um, you know, Q3, we had our, our best quarter ever for Compass, um, you know, signed up the most uh, new logos and, and, and the most brands. You know, in Compass has three parts. It has the patient part, which we have today, and then the prescriber and the national. The prescriber is the biggest part of Compass for sure. And that we won't have till January. So there's a lot of excitement about that, but also the customers, you know, that's critical. That's what you use for incentive compensation and et cetera. And they've used IQVIA forever for that. So they have to, they'll have to see our product um, before they adopt it. Uh, but so the progress has been on the patient side. And that's where we can sell we sell by the brand. We sell our patient data by the brand. And there's good excitement in there because our patient data is better than the alternatives most often. Our licensing model is simpler. And people having success, they're finding they're they're finding out more about how their products are, are used because our patient data is, is is more accurate. So we have some where it's a small biotech. They only have one compound. Hey, we already work with Viva. We get this patient data with Viva. Hey, that was easy. We liked it. Oh, we can get data from Viva. And then in a few of the top 20s, specific brands are able to add the Viva data to complement their existing data because we can see parts of the data that their existing vendors don't. So that's what's developing this excitement. It's a compass is a, it's a game of inches. You know, and it's just brand success, brand success by time. But the big watershed for us is January when we'll, ha when we'll finally be able to complete the picture and have 
prescriber and national, which are the projected data. That's the big deal. IQVIA has that. Um, there's an older company called Symphony that has that. But all these other data startups, they don't tackle that area because that's really, really hard, right? And that's one we're tackling. So um, I couldn't be more excited about Compass. Our, our product strategy really hasn't changed in the last year and for Compass. And that's pretty exciting because then you know then you know that's working. You start to get those early feedbacks. Ooh, all we got to do is execute. All we got to do is execute. So it's a little bit more agita when you get feedback, you have to pivot. You get feedback, you have to pivot. Now, I've, we've done that a lot through our products, and we know how to do that. But the feeling gets better when, hey, guys, we're not, we're not pivoting anymore because we're on the right track. You know, we just got to grind it out. So anyway... As you can tell, I'm pretty enthused about Compass. I think it's it's going to be a great thing for life sciences. And the fact that it fits with open data and link and pulse using all the same, like, for example, uh, you know, I hope I hope people did get a chance to listen to Madrigal. That's important stuff what they're doing, right? They could be preventing lots of people from having liver transplants. That's really important to that person and their family. So it was super, super, super important. That's what's called a disease area. And, and when we align all our products on disease area and you can get information from Pulse, from Compass, from Link, all around that disease area, that's what makes the power. Um, so it's, I think it's going to be transformative what we're doing in data cloud, just like Development cloud has been transformative to the R&D side. Awesome. Very helpful. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Thank you, Stan. Our next question is from Tyler Radke at City. All right. There we go. Thanks for uh, taking the question. It's nice to see you all. So uh, just going back on the demand environment, and I appreciate all the uh, incremental disclosure we got this quarter just in terms of the mix between med tech, uh, biopharma, and then within that enterprise, CRO, um, SMB. <clears throat> but I guess ignoring the services headwinds, which, which is understandable given the, the environment, how did subscription bookings, uh, compare relative to internal plan? And then just anything to call out in terms of where the, the weakness was, was more, most pronounced. Um, you know, between enterprise and, and SMB and, and, and CRO, and then a, a quick follow-up uh, for Peter. Yeah, so maybe um, the, the last part of your question is around where were you seeing more of the weaknesses on, on, on the service side of the business. So um, we, we saw it both on the R&D and the commercial side. If you think about R&D, it's, it's the biggest portion of our services business. So from a dollar perspective, it had a, a bit more of an impact. Uh, on the commercial side, it had a, a bit more of a of a percentage impact, if you can think of it that way. Um, and the and the impact was was uh, across the the customer base. That's how I would think about it. But but it was more on I would call that post implementation type activities. So I, I would focus there. And then your other question was around bookings. We we don't quote guide around bookings, but what I would say is if you kind of look at our overall um, you know business. You know, we're pleased with the momentum. We're pleased with the pipe. We're pleased how we're progressing those deals. Uh, so no real big surprises as I look at the subscription business and our, our ability to, to close business. Got it. And, and Peter, uh, 
the, the amount of product innovation and announcements this analyst day was, was, uh, pretty noteworthy. I, I can't remember a, a more action packed analyst day. So it's great to see, uh, I guess on the, the execution front, which, you know, you certainly executed on, on building out multi products. And I'm just curious how you would kind of evaluate the, the state of execution on, uh, some of these new products initiatives, given everything going on. And then, um, I, I did notice that one of your, your leaders, uh, on the Vault CRM did, did move over to Salesforce. So just curious if you could comment, uh, on kind of the, the organizational, uh, leadership specifically within, uh, Vault CRM. Yeah. Thanks, Tyler. That's very insightful. Yeah. We did announce, if you really looked at what we announced, that was a lot, right? <laughs> we announced a lot. We announced our seriousness and our big plan and data and how serious we are about commercial cloud and continuing add-ons in, in, into development cloud. And then by our TAM, we also announced, hmm, we see extra things we can do here, right? So I feel great about that because we laid out, we said, hey, we're going to climb Mount Everest. And that feels good. And now you got to just, you just start climbing, right? Um, what's difficult is I don't know which mountain I'm climbing. I don't know if I'm staying on Salesforce, moving off Salesforce. That's a lot of agita, right? But once you, once you galvanize the team, here's where we're, we're going. Um, it, it feels much better now. And in terms of how we're doing an execution and lot, I do part of my job at Viva is communications. So I do, for example, a quarterly company call and update. I do a quarterly call with all the managers about, you know, management processes at Viva. I also do a quarterly call every quarter with the product management. That's a small set of Viva, but critically important. And one of the things I always say there is product managers should never be satisfied. It's just a curse. So I'm never satisfied with our execution. Never satisfied. It can always be better. But at the same time, I think we're top of the class. But that's different than being satisfied. There's, there's always, always, always places to improve. And, um, what you have to do is you have to get the operating model right for these different areas. You have to get the right leadership. So for example, marketing automation. We haven't started that yet. We're going to start it next year. Well, we better get that right leader, right? So that process is going on right now. So it's that, it's just that type of, type of thing. I'm not satisfied, but I still think we're absolutely best in class. Our operating model is holding up. It's not by accident that Viva can have success on all these areas. That would be statistically almost impossible, you know, from manufacturing to CRM where we started to clinical trials. drugs. That's mathematically impossible. It's, it's our operating model that does that. So I'm, I'm happy, but not satisfied. And then in terms of the executive, uh, Frank is a longtime Viva person. He started out in our services group. He went to our consumer products division. Um, last thing he was doing here was our commercial services area. So Frank was you know, not leading our product area or he wasn't in charge with a vault CRM or anything like that. So, you know, wish Frank the best, but it doesn't really change anything about what we're doing. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Tyler. Our next Poor question. Tyler, is, he, he asked a short question and got a long answer. Oh well. I was thoughtful. I'll take it, though, Peter. 
Okay, our next question is from Jalendra Singh of Truist. Hi. Oh, thank you. Uh, thanks for your time. Really appreciate. Um, so, I uh, want to go back to macro uh, trends. Uh, clearly, a lot of focus there. You know, the way shares are reacting, it seems investors are concerned that there is more risk beyond the guidance cut. I understand your confidence in the pipeline, but clearly sometimes macro trends can often be beyond your control. And we've seen that some of your peers who have taken multiple guidance cuts over the past 12 months. So a few points I want to clarify. First, did you say that uh, the incremental slowdown you have seen since mid third quarter, is that now spreading across more of your pharma clients or is it same pharma clients uh, kind of delaying more projects? And then does your guidance for next fiscal year, assume that some of these uh, projects come back uh, in any capacity. Yeah, let me let me answer that that last piece of that. So, well, you know, what we've assumed in our guidance is what we've experienced um, over the, the past quarter. Um, that continues. So that additional scrutiny, that macro impact on some of the more discretionary services. We expect that to continue through fiscal 25, and that informed our guide. So that was included in our guide, that assumption. We didn't assume that that was going to get better. And then the other piece of your, your the other part of your question? I was trying to understand whether it's how broad-based this is. Like, is it more risk there in terms of, like, more pharma clients are delaying projects, or it's, like, same pharma clients who are using, like, trying to understand the, what, how broad these concerns you're seeing in your market. Yeah, we're not, we're not so, we're not seeing it, um, you know, it's, it's in pockets, I'll be honest with you, right? You can't just say it's this, it's this, it's applying to these customers in a similar way. Every customer is a bit different, but what we have seen is a bit more of a trend across a, a little bit of a broader swath in our services business. And again, it was, it's that discretionary type stuff. They're looking for a little bit of efficiency, uh, in this macro. And so that's what we're seeing in our business. The, it's really important if you look at our execution on our subscription business. So we've executed and, and, and increased our guide during the year as we've continued to deliver as expected. Um, so we haven't seen that. And it's because what we sell on the subscription side, this is mission critical software solving our customers, you know, most critical needs. And so we haven't seen a change in focus there. We haven't seen a change in um, the, the competitive market. And my follow-up uh, on the same topic, given these trends you're experiencing, are you making any changes to your uh, investment or capital allocation in terms of resources? Like, just, just curious, is there any change in strategy or you think this is just a temporary and there's no need to, you know, deviate from your long-term long -term focus? Maybe yeah, we're, talk about we're, all, yeah, we're always looking and focused on the longer term. So what's their longer-term growth opportunity? How can we drive customer success? How we, can we continue to innovate? So we're going to continue to invest, but we're going to do it in a disciplined way. You know, we're, we're going to be focused on, you know, do we have the right people? Do we have the appropriate lean team? Okay, then that's an answer. Oh, we can, we can accelerate customer success by maybe leaning in and investing a little bit more here. That's our approach. So we're not going to be short-sighted in how we think about the opportunity and investments. But, we'll, again, we're going to be, you know, disciplined in our approach. Yeah, and I would say we're going to do the obvious things, right? When we see services demand coming down a little bit, we're going to hire less in services, those types of things. But that's more incremental. No change in the long-term strategy of what we're doing. Thank you.
Thank you, Jalindra. Our next question is from Craig Hettenbach from Morgan Stanley. Great, thanks so much. Um, you know, Brent, I think the silver lining here is despite the headwind to services and, and revenue up margin coming in. So can you maybe just talk about just some of the levers, how you're managing that near term and then longer term, how do you think about getting operating margins back to the high thirties? Yeah, so in, you know, in the near term, you know, you know, we've, we've, we're executing well this year where our margins are, are, are holding with a, are slightly up this year with, with the, the top line coming down. And that's because we're, you know, we're being disciplined. Peter just mentioned, you know, services are coming down. Okay. So we're going to look at our, our services organization and we're going to look at utilization and we're going to make the appropriate business decisions on, on how we, you know, how we manage that. So it's going to be a disciplined focus around that. So, you know, margins looking forward, you know, we're, we're, we're not setting a target that we're going to be at X percent per se, other than what we've said that we're going to be 35% plus. You can, there's an implied uh, margin in the, the, the 2025 uh, number. We're going to continue to, to, to focus on making the investments that make sense. And if we have the right team, then that's an answer as well. So we're, we're happy with the team we have on board. They're able to deliver the the goals and targets that we have um, in front of us. Got it. And then as my follow-up for Peter, you've been very clear from an M&A perspective that culture is important fit in terms of how you evaluate options out there. You know, given we've continued to see a resetting evaluations, how's the opportunity set looking and, and how do you kind of look at opportunities in commercial versus R&D um, for inorganic growth potentially over time? Hmm. Yeah, I, we were looking for a cultural fit. Of, you know, most acquisitions don't work out. You know, that's the, the facts. They all work out for the bankers, right? And the lawyers, it all works out. Uh, but you know, mostly it doesn't work out. Those are the facts. And if you look at it, it's, I think it's somewhat to lack of discipline. So we're very, very disciplined. All of our acquisitions have worked out. We look for cultural fit. First, we look for market fit. We'll, we'll decide market first. And then see if we're going to build or buy. And then we have to have culture fit. And then timing has to work out. Because even if you want to buy, what if somebody doesn't want to sell? So, you know, I think now it's probably a little bit easier to buy things because the market is not so high. People are not quite so optimistic. Um, I think we're more likely to buy things in the commercial area than the R&D area because you – you saw how our commercial cloud, the new commercial cloud, that's really growing up. R&D, you know, we got a lot of the footprint there, and Vault's a great platform for it. So um, there could be some in the data area, too, um, some some tuck-in type things. But uh, we're always looking, and we may find or we may not. Got it. Thanks so much. Thanks. Great. Thank you, Craig. Our next question is from Brent Braceland from Piper Sandler. Hey, Brent. Hey, how are you? Good, good seeing you. Sorry about the uh, delay there. Um, Peter, for you, I wanted to maybe take a step back. 
Uh, next week, uh, believe it or not, will be the 10-year anniversary of uh, Viva's uh, IPO, uh, if you can believe that. Uh, and just looking back over the last, you know, decade, Viva was a growth darling, uh, an enigma, 25 to 50% growth year in, year out, um, just phenomenal margins. The last two years, as you've approached $2 billion in scale, we've kind of seen mid-teens growth. You're now guiding to organic growth in, in the low teens next year. Um, if I look at the business, $2 billion of a $20 billion TAM, you're not TAM constraint. Uh, if I look at products, I think you have six of six products that account for the bulk of revenue. You're not product constraint. So as you kind of think about the the next decade for Viva is this a a new normal that that at this size in the markets that you serve where there's governors to how fast life sciences companies adopt product should we kind of think about Viva a little differently here as a as a as a kind of mid teens grower given the markets you that 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 you 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 assume or, or not yeah. Well, I would say yes, it's certainly different than 10 years ago. I feel different. I feel 10 years older. But, uh, yeah, going back 10 years ago, um, was a small company. I don't know, a few hundred million dollars or something like that. And it was just a single product company. And this vault thing was we were saying, Hey, this is going to be big. And everybody says, well, gosh, the revenue is just peanuts, you know, and well, it's going to be big. So it's certainly a bigger company. Um, and it's got more, more entry points and it's got some ma- very mature products. So the growth rate slowing down, but it's a, gosh, it's a much more durable company. If you would have asked me 10 years ago, Hey, is Viva's going to be around for generations? I would say, well, I don't know. I don't even know how I would answer that question. Right now I'm, I'm pretty sure it is going to be. So, um, inside of life sciences, yeah, you know, we can't grow. We grow 50% a year. That's going to be pretty hard, right? Because it takes time to adopt these things, right? It, it's, it's hard in and it's hard out and we got a lot of scale. Um, if we enter into some brand new markets, you know, that could be a way we could ex- accelerate some things, but, uh, we'll have to see. Yeah. So it's a new Viva. Um, I like it better than the Viva 10 years ago, just because it's, it's providing more value. Fair enough. And then I guess the flip side of that question is for, for Brent. Um, as you think about the opportunity, you're clearly leaning in on product, uh, but there are some natural governors to this market. Would you consider um, leaning in more on margin expansion to, to drive higher EPS growth for shareholders? Or, again, it sounds like the focus is still on product um, just thinking through a couple of years ago, this was a 40, 41% out margin model. You're kind of guiding to 36. Is there an opportunity to, to maybe drive slightly higher EPS growth than, than revenue growth with, uh, with little, little margins looking out over the, over, over a longer term period? Yeah. We, with the opportunity that we have in front of us, you know, we're 12% penetrated. You know, we, we think the appropriate focus is to do those investments for growth. Um, to, to not just completely optimize for EPS. We're not, at, we're not at that place. We, um, so that's our focus. We want to make sure that we're focusing in those areas that are going to drive, um, that continued durable growth over time. 
and uh, there's a lot of opportunity in front of us. So that's that's how we're thinking about it right now. It's not like we're gonna, you know, we're looking to to squeeze down costs at, at any ex, at the expense of growth. Okay, fair enough. Thank you. Thanks, Brett. Our next question is from Brad Sills with B of A. Oh, great. Hey, guys. Great great to see you all. Thanks thanks for a, a wonderful event here. Um, a lot of exciting innovation here that you outlined earlier, uh, a lot of new product coming out. Peter, maybe a question for you. I mean, when you look across some of the things that you've, you've, uh, you've rolled out here, you know, in commercial cloud, marketing automation, patient CRM, is there anything you're excited about in, in commercial that you think might reaccelerate growth there? Um, you know, it, it, we, we've historically thought about, you know, approved email and, and uh, territory align as the key options, but I think you're probably getting close to full penetration there. So anything that you, you'd say is earlier stage that maybe we could see some reacceleration in the commercial business? I would say um, Compass is the one. That's a big one. Um, you know, we're, we're certainly early there and we're starting to make some traction and over, over the coming years that could, that could certainly start to be meaningful. That could happen. Um, I think marketing automation, now that'll take longer. Um, that'll take longer. Uh, Link is accelerating nicely. And in the commercial area, we have Link, uh, key people. We have key accounts coming. So it's really in the, in the data cloud area, I guess. And then the marketing automation and patient service, that'll come a little bit later. And then we have to recognize we're, we are, we're taking some effort by doing this replatforming, right? So that's in our commercial is going to take a little bit of a, oh, okay, that's a big lift. We're, you know, we're doing all that effort to get these quote new customers on, on Vault CRM. That's not more revenue because we have them on Viva CRM. So we're, we're taking that hit in the, in the short term, in the in the two three years here in commercial, but that's um, that's why we take the long term. You know, we I think about Microsoft Office, right? That is a that's an important thing. That's very valuable for Microsoft, and it's very valuable for the people that use it. In commercial cloud, data cloud, and, and development cloud, that's kind of what we're building. But of course, much more impactful, right? We want to be the standard. That's what you do. And yes, those are going to be highly profitable businesses. But again, delivering at least two times the value. You know, if we take in one dollar revenue, we want want to deliver at least two times the value. So we just have to, you know, in in some ways, you got to think about we have to complete our office suite, and that that's a that's a marathon. And if we do. And, and retain that customer success, man, we will, we will be the industry cloud for life sciences. We'll be essential and appreciated to this industry. That's an outstanding position to be in. And Matt, you can imagine all the things you can do from there, right? All types of things you can do. Viva's a, we're, you know, we're a customer centric company, do the right thing. But you also see we're not, you know, we're aggressive. Um, we started out as a one application company 10 years ago, at least the gentleman rightly said, that's not what we're doing now. And, you know, we're doing this industry cloud for life sciences in the way we describe it. We're not going to just stop after we accomplish that, but it, it takes time. 
a ton of sense. Thanks, Peter. And then the other question I wanted to ask was around the, the data API for AI. Uh, when you think about kind of the evolution of AI for Viva, are you at that point now where let's just get more data into Viva and we'll figure out the, the workflow automation, the applications that, that sit on top of Viva, some of the features that might come in here? I mean, what, how are you thinking about just the where, where you are and, and the preparedness, if you will, for AI and um, on the data front and then kind of going forward, what are some interesting use cases that you think we, we should be you know, on the lookout for? Yeah, you said it well. We're we're putting in the foundation. So two things: this direct data API, which is that's groundbreaking stuff. I know a lot about APIs. I've designed a lot of APIs on a different platform. This is this is new innovation. This is hard new innovation, actually, that we started working on about two and a half years ago. It's that hard. So this is groundbreaking stuff. Really happy about that. And then yes, completing our suite so we have all the data and then making our own data in data cloud. Those three things just set you up perfectly to do AI things, industry-specific AI things. Viva would have sort of a, a really significant advantage on anybody else. Um, and um, we're looking forward to doing that, but you know, first things first, really. Thanks so much, Peter. Thanks. Great. Thank you, Brad, for your question. Our next question is from David Winley from Jefferies. Got it. Took a second. Hopefully you can hear me. Um, uh, thanks for taking the questions. Thanks for the event. Uh, my first one is around kind of taking this macro question, but maybe flipping the script, um, your biopharma customers have, are always facing regulation, but maybe facing a couple of bigger ones um, in over the horizon, like Inflation Reduction Act, um, changing their pricing regime in the U.S. Maybe a smaller one, nichier one would be Annex 1, manufacturing quality in, in Europe. I'm wondering if regulations like that are catalyzing um, your clients to pursue more integrated software. Do you feel that in the sales pipeline? Yeah, I'll, I'll take that one. Um, regulations, we're in a very highly regulated industry. As you know, the regulations change frequently. Uh, when the regulations do change, our customers have to, they have to be prepared to comply with the regulations. So in general, uh, regulations accelerate or help our customers think uh, more deeply about how they modernize, how they're, they're ready to adapt and, and ready to comply. Technology is not always the answer, but in many cases, it can be the answer to compliance with regulations. We have um, obviously built into our platform, Vault Platform, for example, is built specifically for life sciences with a lot of the foundational pieces built into the application to support regulations. So we're, we have an advantage in that we're able to help our customers often get to regulations um, faster and, and, and easier. Now that's, that was kind of a generic and general answer. You're, you know, let's take one specifically, the IRA, which you talked about. It's about, uh, giving the government some ability to uh, negotiate, even set prices that'll happen over the longer term starting in 2026. Companies will feel the revenue impact of that over time. Um, the, it's, it's causing companies to, to reprioritize, think about their drug development portfolios. Should they invest in, uh, more, 
uh, large molecule versus small molecule. So this is an example of a regulation where it's creating, uh, it's forcing companies to think about prioritization rather than execution. So you can see the balance, right? They're, in one respect, they need to comply. In another respect, it may create um, just uh, some rethinking of, of priorities, which may delay some things. Uh, so it depends on the specific regulation, uh, but I thought we'd use that one. It's it's a timely example of um, how our customers are, are rethinking about their portfolios, what what investments they make when they launch. Uh, lots of different things start to to come into question again. Got it. Thank you for that. And then and then wanted to ask a follow up, kind of similar topic, but maybe reverse angle. So I, my sense is, and I think you think too, that Viva has some significant market share opportunities in the clinical clinical IT space, clinical operations, software space, um, Oracle, Medidata, um, both, you know, the, the old phase forward business and Medidata, both now under, you know, parent companies and, and maybe don't have the focus that you do. So that's the opportunity. But but in in thinking about the current environment, I guess, and back to the, you know, the mission criticality, what's the potential that customers in a budget-sensitive environment could quote unquote, sweat those assets more over the next couple of years and make slower decisions as a result, even on the software, not exclusively in services. Thank you. Yeah, and that, that'll, that'll depend on the customer by customer basis. Um, they can't sweat them for too long. Can't sweat them for, for too long, right? Because, uh, you know, and they, they did actually, it's interesting. They, what you call sweating them means, hey, just, hey, just stay where I am. It's interesting during COVID, they did quite a bit of that because, hey, there was a lot of other things. They had to figure out digital. They had to figure out this. They had to figure out that. Hey, just, just let that thing ride for, for a couple of years. So in some sense, it's already starting to be pent up. Um, so I don't, I don't think, I think those two things will counterbalance because you're, you're quite right that when times get hard, hey, can we delay just more? They've actually been delaying a little bit more than than maybe they normally would have in the last three four years. I think they will counterbalance. Uh, of course, that's a you know that's a judgment call, right? It's um, I can't give you an exact math equation on that one. Sure, understood. Thank you. Thanks, David. Our next question is from Carolyn Valenti from Goldman Sachs. Hey, thanks for taking my question here. Um, first one that I wanted to ask would be just, um, Brent commented on the commercial mix tracking a little bit better than the R&D mix. Um, what's driven the upside in commercial relative to your original plan? And then um, why do you think the R&D is taking a little bit longer to build? Yeah, and maybe context to that statement. If you go back, we're talking 2019, looking out, we're making a split um, of how we get to that $3 billion um, revenue target. We know we're both are tracking ahead. So we're ecstatic, you know, and very pleased with the progress we've made. Um, and if you look at commercial specifically, you know, we've made really good progress with, um, you know, the link product offerings, right? If you go back four or five years and you fast forward now, a link for key people and the like, um, you know, established product doing well. So, so those are some of the things that, you know, has helped us 
um, you know, continue to be, beat the target and maybe be a little bit further ahead than, than R&D. R&D is significant opportunity, right? So if you think about where we are across um, the opportunity space with the clinical data side and safety and all the quality applications. So we're excited about the opportunity. We're tracking ahead there. And uh, that's going to be a big growth driver as we look beyond 2025. Thank you. And then as a follow-up, just how do you separate the cyclical pressure from any sort of secular trends? And specifically, like what catalysts over the medium term are customers speaking to that gives you confidence that software budgets at pharma companies will continue to grow? I, I guess I'll take that one. Um, part of it is just being in the market and, and talking with cus- customers and going to our customer summits. For example, in Q3, we had a, a really large customer summit, over 2,000 people um, at, in uh, in Boston for our R&D summit. And so you just get the get the feeling of what's going on. They need to. They're all. Everybody's talking about efficiency, right? Getting efficiency. The only way you do that is through, through digital and data. That's the, the only way and your operating model, of course. So, yeah, I just have confidence that that's, that's the trends I've been seeing for 30 years. And I, I see no logical alternative. If I was running a pharma company, I, I don't know what else I would do to get more efficient, right? I can't just say, well, I'm just going to hire smarter people, right? At some point, that becomes hard. You got to focus in on core capabilities. That's for the large pharma, right? Large pharma, you know, top 50 pharma, top 20 pharma, they have a lot of products. They focus on product, you know, scale, getting them through the clinical trials, getting into market. Now, if you think about Madrigal, they're focused on speed, absolutely on speed, right? And so it's a different thing. There, they want to get the tech all integrated together because they're focused on speed. A large pharma, they got to focus on their capabilities. But both sides got to tech, technology is really the only way to get more efficient. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Carolyn. Our next question is from Charles Rye from TD Callen. Uh, yeah, thanks for uh, taking the question. Um, you know, wanted to ask maybe follow a little bit on the regulatory side and, and particularly drill down on your large biopharma customers. You know, has the IRA come into discussion at all yet? I know it's, you know, just been passed and it doesn't kick in quite yet, but, uh, you know, but certainly some of the, you know, data points that we've seen or, or heard is that it could accelerate uh, companies to do multiple trials at once or multiple indications at once and, you know, if that were to occur, would, you know, could that be an accelerant for growth for you guys or does large enterprise clients, you know, that's kind of already included in, in what they're uh, using you for? Yeah, it, it is driving. Uh, so you're, you're right in terms of the financial impact. The financial impact has not hit yet. Um, in terms of the, what impact is it having on how companies are approaching their drug portfolio? Uh, the investments they're making in, in trials, it is impacting there. They're having those conversations. It's, um, it's causing companies to think. And you can imagine all of the kinds of things that they're, they're thinking about optimizing for. Uh, do we, do we develop a medicine that's, uh, not for the Medicare population versus something that is? 
Do we think about markets that, you know, multiple markets that may be smaller markets, which may mean a broader set of clinical trials uh, rather than kind of a single blockbuster type thing? So, so those kinds of conversations, those thoughts are are happening now uh, because they'll play out over over multiple years. Uh, now, does that become an accelerant? In it, it, I don't know that it's a material change in, in how, particularly given how how we license our, our our software and which tend to be more ELA centric and uh, immune, somewhat more immune or insulated from uh, trial volume goes up or trial volume goes down. Uh, where it's less associated with that. So, um, but you're right. I do think over time, it'll, it, the companies will need to become more efficient. This is part of the, uh, modernizing efficiency. And I think that trend in the long term benefits Viva. Appreciate that. And, and Peter, um, you know, appreciate a lot of the, the comments you gave earlier. And as you thought about sort of the new products you're launching, uh, you, you touched on sort of competition here and there. You know, as you kind of discuss some of these different products that you're and markets you're kind of entering into, uh, but maybe can you give us a general sense of what the competitive landscape, you know, what, what's that currently looking like and how's that changed, um, you know, over the last few years? And 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 I guess a question being, you know, with sort of the advent of you know sort of this next generative AI, you know, does that, you know, open up, you know, the competitive, you know more competitors because maybe it's easier to apply technology and deliver some of these services. And, you know, just just your thoughts on what the landscape currently looks like uh, would be appreciated. Thanks. Yeah. I, I would say now we're in multiple areas. So we're in clinical area, we're in um, quality and manufacturing, the commercial CRM area, the, the safety area. So um, we don't have one competitor across all of them. Um and the competitive environment is generally, I think, favorable for Viva in all these all these markets. Uh, if you look at the clinical, you know, there's some established players there. We feel like we have the innovation edge, and then also we have clinical operations and clinical data. I, I feel like we have the edge there. If you look in the quality and manufacturing area, there's three or four. You know, we compete with one company in the in the in the quality docs area, that you know, sort of a documentum kind of thing, it's almost gone. Sparta, we clearly have the upper hand there in the QMS. In the limbs, it's just new. There's two legacy players there. Um, there's a couple of legacy players in the set safety area. Um, I would say maybe our strongest competition is probably IQV in their core commercial data area, right? Because that's where they have a you know, they have a monopoly there and they leverage that monopoly power, which we feel they do that illegally. And our, and our antitrust suit is, uh, you know, is ongoing with them. And we hope it comes to trial next year. Um, I would say they're the toughest competitor. Like Compass is going head on against a battleship that's using sort of monopolistic behavior there. So that's probably our hardest competitive environment. So it's, it's going to depend on area, um, but it's always depended by area. We don't feel like we have anybody competing with us overall for the industry cloud of biosciences because nobody's really set out to do that. No, no I appreciate that. Um, but about smaller players, are you seeing a lot of new entrants, you know, applying kind of new technologies? And does that, yeah. is that an interesting area maybe to, to invest into as well for yourselves? Yeah, sorry, I, I, I didn't get to that. Um, 
No, we're seeing less startups uh, because of the funding environment. Um, in fact, a lot of smaller startups going out of business, et cetera, or just doing asset sales, et cetera. So definitely um, less. Uh, it's just a really rough time to be a startup now selling in the bad in Mecca. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's just, it's hard. So we're seeing less. Um, will AI open up things? Uh, not against really our core market. I don't see that. An AI application is different than a data process workflow application, especially a generative AI. You know, we have to understand generative AI is not what's called deterministic. It may not produce the same answer every time. It's a very, very different type of thing than stuff we do. Um, so we may have competition in those new areas if we go in there, generative AI stuff, but I don't see for what we do. I don't, it won't come from the generative AI down to us, the competition. I don't see that happening. Great. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Charles. And our last question will be from Sackett Kalia with a follow-up question from Barclays. Okay, great. Hey, guys, thanks for fitting me in for, for a quick follow-up. Um, I'll, I'll try to keep it quick. P Peter, Paul, for, for either of you, I just wanted to spend 30 seconds on, on CDMS very specifically. We won several top 20s, right, in a pretty short amount of time, which was really impressive. The, the, the question is, can you talk about the pipeline for more, qualitatively, of course, and how do you just feel about the competitive backdrop there? feels like it's getting better. wonder if you could just go one level deeper. Thanks. I can take that. Yeah, we feel real good about the competitive backdrop there. We certainly have deals progressing. You know, I won't give exact color on that, but um, I, when we set out to get into C, CDMS, you know, the EDC area, I believe that was, I believe that was 2016. I may have my, I may have my number there incorrect, but I believe that's when we kind of made a decision. Hey, we're going to do that. We said we want to be the leader by 2025. You know, that would be maybe over, over, over 50% market share or so. That would be a, a home run. I don't think we'll, we'll quite be there, but I'm, I'm sure we're on our way to being a leader. I'm not, you know, you can't be sure about the future. I, I feel quite confident that we're on the way because we have structural advantage. We have a newer product. It's better in multiple areas, and we have clinical operations and clinical data. And then, for example, we have our safety system, our drug safety system, and we're connecting that with our clinical data man. We sort of have an unfair advantage. Um, so odds are on Viva being the, the leader in that area. And it's progressing well. I always wanted to progress faster. I, I would say we have to make more progress in the CRO area as well, because that's key for the small biotechs, right? Because for the CROs, the, they get their technology, the small biotechs get their technology from the CROs. That's an area where we're in the, in the EDC. We haven't, we haven't done as well, um, as maybe we should or could. Um, so we probably have to tighten up our execution there and that'll, that'll come over time. Very helpful. Thanks. Thanks. All right. And that was the end of the Q&A session. I'll turn it back over to you, Peter, for any closing remarks. 
All right. Well, thanks everyone for joining our investor day today. I really appreciate your, your great questions and you're coming on Zoom and you're, you know, you're being on, on camera. I appreciate that. And of course, thanks to the Viva team for all making this happen and for our customers, including Madrigal and all the other customers for your great partnership. And uh, we really appreciate it. Thank you, everyone.